The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Christ. Thank you, Drew, uh, for reading that wonderful passage of scripture. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ Press. This is a great delight for me to welcome you. My name is Paul Lim. For those of you who don't know me, I serve here at Christ Press as a scholar in residence, which means that every couple of months or so you get, um, I will be speaking from the pulpit, and then every Sunday I'll also have an opportunity to teach adult Sunday school classes. So um, before we look at God's word, let's actually pray one more time. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this great privilege of being able to call you our Heavenly Father and to experience and know in our hearts that your love is for real. It is as real as a person standing here in the pulpit and it is real, made more real to us by the operation and ministry of the Holy Spirit who has authorized these words of the Apostle Paul to be written to a fledgling church in Galatia, that they too will come to understand the depth and the breadth of God's grace and love. And may the same spirit who has worked deeply within the hearts of Paul and the Galatian Christians work within us today as we do the same now in our attempt to worship you and to commune with you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. So yesterday, I began my day by driving over to DeBerry Special Needs Prison in order to deliver a packet of reading materials for the inmates with whom I've spent about two and a half to three hours each week, each Tuesday, for a class I teach. So my day job is at Vanderbilt uh, as a professor, and this class is about 35 students 15 or so inmates and about 18 uh, students from Vanderbilt, undergrads and grad students going together, taking a class called God and Human Suffering in Historical Perspective. So every Tuesday, I go to jail for about three hours. And it's a great, great, profound experience for me. And I delivered a reading packet. This week's reading is Thomas Aquinas' Exposition on Job, something light reading, you know, bedtime reading. And then I walked in and dropped off the bundle and walked out and looked up the sky. It was beautiful, it was sunny and brisk and a smattering of few clouds reminding me of the days that we have had, but also the future we're about to have as well. Best of all, 
I was free to walk in and walk out. I had freedom of movement. My day ended with my going to the movies to see Just Mercy, about the indefatigable and irrepressible work of Brian Stevenson, a Harvard-trained lawyer who started this thing called Equal Justice Initiative. I thought throughout the movie about my brothers behind bars at DeBerry and Riverbend, two places I have taught and learned so much about God and God's nature and his unmerited grace for us, forgiveness that God extends to us without any strings attached, and the costly nature of our freedom. I shed tears, I got enraged, I got both hopeful and hopeless while watching the movie Just Mercy. One of the most powerful moments, quotes from the film, is when Jamie Foxx, who plays a character, Walter McMillan, who says, you don't know what you're, down in, you're, what you're, what you're into down here. Here you're guilty from the moment you're born. For an African-American, you're guilty from the moment you're born. For some people, it is truly sweet home Alabama. And yet for others, it is truly scary hell Alabama. It got me thinking a lot about another movie which made film history for being the first non-English language film in Oscar history to win the award for best picture, as well as best director, best writer, and best producer, as Korean movie named Parasite. The director of that film, Bong Joon-ho, uh, won all those three categories for which he was nominated, and he was interviewed before the Oscars about the significance of the movie Parasite. He said he wanted to portray that whereas for some people it is sweet home soul, but that same place can be not so sweet, but sour and scary hell soul. Same place, much different experience of an access to freedom and flourishing and etc. In today's text, we see Paul putting great emphasis on freedom and unfreedom, freedom and enslavement. Just exactly what kind of freedom is Paul talking about here? If I were to go around and ask, you know, all of you, you know, young and not so young, in school, out of school, about what you think of freedom and how you would define the word freedom, I'm sure we'll have many different notions about that. But I would also like to challenge all of our thinking about freedom, that many of our thinking about freedom or definitions about freedom owe more to notions of modernity about freedom. What modern kind of conceptions, such as the American Revolution or the French Revolution, have taught us about freedom? Or maybe it is a William Wallace in that movie, Braveheart, when he just cries out freedom and you're supposed to just be able to intuit and get what he means by freedom for the Scottish people over against the English. So we have all of these things about freedom. And Paul talks about freedom in this text a great deal. Obviously, Paul links the foundational nature of freedom with who Christ is and what he has done. He says in verse 1, as, it, as we find it in our text, that it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. It is for the purpose of freedom that we have received free. So not only to enjoy it among ourselves, but perhaps to tell others and give unto others the similar experience of freedom that Christ has given us. In other words, it is both missional and missiological and, and evangelistic. 
In other words, also, it was freedom of God. God is the only one who is utterly and absolutely free from past to present to future, right? We are free, but we're not that free. And we can go on talking about that, and we will in just a few minutes. But it's the utter freedom of God in Jesus Christ that has made us free. And this freedom was to have a direct, distinct role in keeping us free. Christ says something like this in the Gospel of John. If you hold to my teachings then you are really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Then we're bound to ask the question, what is that truth that we are supposed to understand? What is that truth about self and Savior and society? This freedom that Jesus offers in both the Gospel of John and also in Galatians was directly related to adherence to the teachings of Jesus. As Lee Eric mentioned about discipleship kind of opportunities here at Christ Pres, yes, the word discipleship means sticking close to, staying near someone that you think would be a great model. If you want to learn something about cookery, I suppose you shouldn't come and ask me how to cook. You'd be better off asking a litany of people, Gordon Ramsay, David Chang, whoever it is, your favorite TV chef, they will teach you how to make it all right. My favorite used to be, do you remember Emeril? He was so great, right? Just boom and just walk out of there. But whoever your TV chef is, if you want to learn, that's discipleship of cookery, of cooking, right? You hang out with that person, watch what they do. And Jesus says, you know what? If you want to be free, you need to hang out with me. You need to spend time with me. You want to have an immersive experience with me. Because as you do that, you'll know that truth about you and me, and that truth will set you free. So freedom, this is what I said earlier, is not a flight from authority. Because when you think about the American Revolution and the French Revolution and the fall of Soviet Union, the three kind of revolutionary movements in modernity, what they have in common is it is a flying away from authority, authority that were deemed to be tyrannical and oppressive and non-flourishing. And this is a book written by Jeffrey Stout a few years ago called Fly from Authority as a Symptomatic Theme of Modern Life. Modern life, among others, is really about running away from authority. And in some ways, here today, even in 2020, we might have the same conception about freedom as I want to run away from God. I want to run away but for Jesus, on the other hand, freedom is flight unto authority of God who loves us. Now, let me say that again, because I think that is a challenge. That is really a, a bit of a challenge. To, let me challenge me and you by saying, to really experience that freedom that God intends for us to have, we need to fly to God, not fly from God. We need to fly to the authority of God. Because in coming to God and in surrendering ourselves, as Pastor Scott mentioned last Sunday, it is in that sweet surrender we find our identity and freedom. I say it so well, but do I really practice it? I don't know. Do I really believe that in coming to God and surrendering to God, I will find my freedom? That is the big challenge for us. So for the rest of our time, we'll, uh, we'll have three quick points, three points about freedom, um, and that, that's all words begin with the letter F, as it turns out. First point is fragility of freedom. Fragility of freedom. Second is future of freedom. Third is faith and freedom. First point, fragility and freedom. 
When you travel and have your suitcases, if it is full of some things that are going to be easily breakable, we put the sticker that says fragile. Fragile, fragile, tomato, tomato, whatever it is, right? So fragility, something that is easily breakable. Listen to what Paul says. Paul seems to be kind of saying to the Galatian Christians that there is something about fragility of your freedom that you have that you actually need to protect it very, very sacredly. Notice these expressions. They all sound very negative and strong. He says, I don't want you to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The whole premise is this. He seems to be really going on and on about circumcision. And quite frankly, for people living in 2020, we don't really know. We don't really understand what circumcision is. And we think we know what that is. But why that has such a great religious significance for Paul to say, if you're going to go get circumcised again, then you're missing the boat, he says to these Galatian Christians. Paul says if circumcision is made a condition of true uh, Christianity for these Gentile Galatian Christians... Then he says five things. One, Christ will be of no value at all. That's not a light thing to say. Two, he says, then if circumcision is made a condition of your identity badge, then you're obligated to obey the entirety of the law. Again, not a light and fluffy thing to say. Three, if circumcision again is a made condition of your identity badge, then you are trying to be justified by legal observance. Fourthly, he says, if you really think that circumcision is the way into the kingdom of God, then you have been alienated, which means quite literally cut off from Christ. Fifthly and finally, he says, if you really think that circumcision and doing the circumcision is the way that you can really authentically become a Christian, then you actually have fallen away from grace. Again, these are not easy things to say. These are not light and trivial things to say. Then it does behoove us to ask this question. What was it for Paul, a Jew? What was it for Jesus, who was a Jew and never really said, I am a Christian? Jesus, did you know that Jesus never said, I'm a Christian? For them, both of them were circumcised. But what was the nature of this kind of departure or parting of ways between Judaism and Christianity that in the middle of the first century, this Jewish um, person named Paul says, if you really, for these Gentile Christians, if you really want to go and get circumcised, you're missing the entire thing. So for us living in 2020, earnest Christians that we are, many of us are, it does behoove us to ask that question, Why is Paul going on and on and on about circumcision, right? You have probably wondered about that because that may be the only time you have used the word circumcision in the last three, four months, right? Only in the Bible, perhaps only in Galatians and Genesis. And so what's up here? Let's ask ourselves that question. So for Paul, something great is at stake, right? Would you agree? About circumcision, something really important is going on. So that's why he says these kind of powerful negative things. So what exactly was it? What would circumcision symbolize for the Gentile Christians if they would cave into pressure? I just have to tell you this story. I wasn't going to do it, but, you know, every time I think about the, ones, the word circumcision, I think of my wife and my son, because my, my son was born in Beth Israel Hospital in, in Boston, and the, the, the person who delivered a Christian into life was a, a Dr. Koblen, is a great Jewish doctor, and he asked my wife, I don't know why he didn't ask me, he goes, do you want to do circumcision or not? And she answered him by saying, yes, of course, we're Christians. <laughs> I don't, do you get, I mean, there's a really historical irony to this, because for a long, long time, 
Christians did not get circumcised because they said that's a Jewish thing. Are you with me, right? And then, but for my wife, there's a conflation of categories because she thinks that, okay, you got to kind of, I don't know why, I mean, she's sitting there, you can ask her later, but you know, like, <laughs> why was it for her, of course we're going to get our son circumcised because you're Christian. The Jewish doctors kind of slightly looked at her in a perplexed way, but you know, it was trying to be polite. Of course, they will do it. But then I noticed that irony and I, I didn't say anything until today, actually, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, I... Hopefully, I'll have lunch today after this. I don't know. <laughs> All joke aside, this is a serious business though, right? Because it really was serious for Paul. Like, to be circumcised or not, something grand was at stake. And if you don't remember anything else, please remember that. For Paul, what was at stake was the entirety of the gospel. What was at stake was, as Pastor Scott and others have been talking about throughout our series, Jesus plus nothing else. For Paul, how he conceptualized this whole thing, especially for these Gentile Christians, was that for them to try to use something other than this love of God that you experience and faith that is truly free and gratuitous as a gift from God, you don't need other external rituals and ceremonies for you to get it right with God. In a way, Christ was circumcised for you. Christ was crucified for you. So that it is no longer a required ritual of entrance into the covenant community. Paul is basically saying, not through the old covenant of the law. New, new ways not made possible. Therefore, requiring others to be circumcised was tantamount to acknowledging that legal observance was the continual condition for all people, Jews or Gentiles alike. Let me try to illustrate it this way. So I, I got converted recently, though not to Christianity or not to other, but I got converted to this thing. So can you see it's an iPhone, iPhone 11. So for a long time since I had my first mobile phone, which was a flip phone, I've been an Android user. But about a month ago, I finally did the right thing or wrong thing, I don't know. And and got myself under great pressure from my family members on iPhone. I, I got the iPhone. Now, what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying, this flip phone of yours, Android system and iPhone system, their systems are different. So for the Gentile Christians who have iPhones now, you don't need to use Android, or if you are offended by that analogy, just flip it. Okay, flip that, get it, right? Just flip the analogy and so if you, right? So whatever it is that the operating systems are not the same, especially for the Gentile Christians, you do not need that other operating system for you to be acceptable to God or approach God. So Paul says, you know what? That's why you must keep those systems in, in, in distinction because especially as for Gentiles, that's the way to do it. Larry Hurtado was a world-renowned New Testament scholar from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He wrote this book called The Destroyer of the Gods, and the other book that I love is its title, Why on Earth Would Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Don't you love that title? I mean, the title says it all. Why would anybody become a Christian in the first three centuries? Because to become a Christian in the first couple of centuries was a stupid thing to do. It was a dangerous thing to do. It was a non-economical thing to do. It would actually require a lot of sacrifice on your part. So Professor Hurtado rightly asked, what possessed these Christians to do it? What possessed these people to do it? And rightly, literally, the word is possession. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit. 
You're owned and, and operated by the Holy Spirit. But Hurtado writes, it is more than anything else, these early Christians who used to be pagans, what they came to realize is, aha, as unbelievable as it is, among this pantheon of gods and goddesses, there is this God of Israel who came into this world in, in Jesus, and what we are able to accomplish and access is the love of God. That in this solitary existence where we're looking for belonging in first century world as well as 21st century world, they are told that, you know what, this God who is, who is the creator of all things, he loves you. This God loves you and you matter to God. And also, you are now able to love God and love God's neighbor in return as well. So Hurtado writes this. He says, indeed, the emphasis on God's love and the appeal for an answering love ethic characterizing Christian conduct comprise something truly unique. We simply do not know of any other Roman-era religious group in which love, love of God and love for God, play this important role in discourse or behavioral teaching. Paul says to these Galatians that you think you're free, but you are being utterly delusional if you let these other ritual observances, as you are Gentiles who are not Jews before, take your joy away from loving and being loved by God. Fragility of faith, freedom. Fragility and freedom is something that we need to really think very carefully about. One of the recent Pulitzer Prize winners, uh, his name is someone that may be familiar to some of us, especially for the young ones. I came across his name firstly through my son's music listening habits. His name is Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is some of your laugh smiling, that's good. Kendrick Lamar, um, I didn't really know much about him. I, initially, I didn't really like him, his music that much, but I got more and more into it. And there's one song I want to talk, talk, talk to you about. It's a song called How Much a Dollar Cost. It's a great, great song because it talks about that you think you, you, you got it all and you got it all figured out, and, but you really may not. So let me uh, allow me to read certain parts of the lyrics. What I like about Kendrick Lamar's songs is that they're long. They're like lyrical poetry. You know, it's not like five words repeated 50 times as a hip-hop song. It's just very, very profound. So it goes this way. How much a dollar really costs? The question is detrimental, paralyzing my thoughts. Parasites in my stomach keeps me with a gut feeling, y'all. Gotta see how I'm chilling once I park this luxury car. Guilt tripping and feeling resentment. I never met a transient that demanded attention. They got me frustrated, indecisive, and power tripping. Sour emotions got me looking at the universe different. I should distance myself. I should keep it relentless. My selfishness is what got me here. Who am I kidding? So I'm going to tell you, like I told that last bum, crumbs and pennies, I need all of mine, I, and I recognize this type of panhandling all the time. What the song is about is he meets this uh, homeless person who asks him for a dollar, and this is kind of going back and forth. He says, I see the kind of reeking of alcohol. I see the way you are. I know the type that I should avoid. But this is the home, homeless person speaking to Kendrick. He looked at me and said, your, your potential is bittersweet. I looked at him and said, every nickel is mine to keep. He looked at me and said, know the truth and it'll set you free. You're looking at the Messiah, the Son of Jehovah, the higher power, the choir that spoke the word, the Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth. And I will tell you just how much a dollar cost. The price of having a seat in heaven. Embrace your loss. I am God. I washed my hands, I said my grace, what more do you want from me? Tears of a clown, guess I'm not all what, I'm, what is meant to be. Shades of gray will never change if I condone. Turn this page, help me change to right my wrongs. 
fragility of freedom. It is always on knife edge. You think you're free, but you might not be. It seems that one of the clearest distinctives of Christianity was, both in the first century and today, was that it transferred both all the guilt as well as the pursuit of freedom to the same one, Jesus Christ. That leads me to the second point, future of freedom. I have in uh, verse 5, what we would like to see together. Verse 5, it says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. He is saying something quite perplexing in a way. This freedom we have is both a present reality and yet to come. It is perhaps more accurate to say already, but not yet. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role is to remind us that it is not, our life journey is not quite complete yet. That everything that is said will become untrue, but not of yet. We are working toward, toward it, we are walking on that path, but we are not at the end of the journey yet. It provides a requisite patience to forge ahead. Let me ask you this, are you feeling free this morning? Are you feeling the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about as something that is within your present grasp? Paul really wants us to know and experience that freedom. Am I really feeling free? Freedom from what? Freedom from financial burden? Freedom from homework? Students who are in middle school and high school, let me tell you something. No matter how free you might be because you've been playing on Wii all day or Xbox all night, but Sunday evening rolls around 10.30 and you haven't done your homework, I don't care what you say to yourself, you're not free. Because Monday morning comes, you go to school and Mr. Thus and Such, Miss Thus and Such, you say, where's your homework? And you, you ain't got nothing to produce, then you are in deep doo-doo. You're in trouble because then you're not free. You might think you're free, but you're not free. Are you with me? So then we need to kind of differentiate between different kinds of freedoms. But the most important freedom that we must understand is that which you already have. If you have confessed a need for a savior, then you are free. You are free because God has taken that burden of trying to perform, trying to kind of put on yourself on this pedestal and stage, and you're not having to do that. This past week, I had a friend visit from, um, from uh, out, out of town. He's a very well-known scholar in my field, perhaps one of the best in the world, and he said something that really kind of impacted me because I really looked up to this guy, and I still, and as a result of what he said, I looked up, looked up to him even more. He said to me, you know, I've been for the first 15 years of my career, I was always performing for some people other than myself. He said, I was always having to kind of perform and, and produce because by doing that, that'll make me righteous. That'll make me okay. That'll make me free. But then he said to me, Paul, but there came some moment of kind of crisis of faith where I came to realize, you know what? It doesn't really matter what they think about me. I got to stop worrying about that. I got to stop performing because the moment I stop performing, then I can walk toward that freedom that God has already given me in Jesus Christ. So he says performance was what was robbing him of that experience of freedom that he, that is lawfully his. Paul says this language of hope of righteousness. It is that righteousness that is to be given, already given to us, but to be finally revealed to us later on. So this righteousness, this the hope that we have, is sometimes crippled by fear. 
Let's say you, were, you and I were driving our cars and we see a police car flashing the light behind us. What is your number one emotion right after you see the car? Jubilation? Excitement? No, excitement perhaps. Excitement of fear. All of you are laughing because you can resonate. You, what I'm saying makes sense and it resonates with you. There will be one group of people for whom when you see the f- police car flashing its lights, rather than being gripped by fear, you'll be gripped by some other feeling, that of righteousness and being okay. You know who that group will be? It'll be the driver for whom the police officer who is coming is your father or mother or spouse. Knowing that that person who is coming as the judge is the one who is related with me, who loves me more than I can love myself. You see, for Paul, the language of dikaiosune, the language of righteousness, is to be presentable before God. You see, in the book of Genesis, when before human fall happened, Adam and Eve were butt naked, and they saw each other, and they were not ashamed. Marriage as a covenant does that beautifully. It allows two people to stand together in front of each other in their nakedness and say, you know what? That's okay, you're okay, I'm okay, because in our embrace, we truly include one another. That's what God's righteousness conferred upon us by faith is a gift for. Righteousness and freedom are so closely related. The future of freedom is exactly that. It is yet to come, but already in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me quickly move to our last point, that is faith and freedom. We have talked about it already. I want to add a couple of things to that. Now, look with me in verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. This is, to me, one of those, what the, what's up, Paul moment, right? I mean, like, wait a minute. What, he just said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circ- uncircumcision has any value. Wait a minute, he, you've been telling us, Paul, that circumcision is really unimportant, therefore uncircumcision has any value. But Paul is saying, wait a minute, what really matters is not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, but what really matters is this faith that works through love. Faith that works through love. Faith and, work, faith and love working through in mutuality. Believing in God's existence is not enough. Because even Satan's believe that and devils believe that. It is not just knowing in our head, but knowing in our core of being that I am embraced. That God knows and loves me and is committed to me. As we are celebrating, you know, Valentine's Day and so on and so forth. It's faith and love working through mutuality. Love without faith is mere sentimentalism. Faith without love is mere legalism. Faith without love is mere legalism because what what good is it for you to know these ideas but you don't have the heart. That's mere legalism. You know you're already beloved. So it it frees us from trying to earn God's favor and God's forgiveness and God's love. God is basically saying, hey, you had me at hello. Or even before, even before one syllable was uttered, I already had you and I already embraced you. 
Paul has been emphasizing this great instrumentality of faith throughout the epistle of the letter to Galatians. So we need to ask this question, what is the relationship between faith and freedom? See, freedom seems to be such an important thing. I mean, like the role of the self-appointed role of the U.S. government as the promoter and expert of democracy is something like this. In adopting democracy as a governance format, you will have insurance of greatest possible freedom for human beings, thus human flourishing will, will also follow suit, right? So freedom seems to be really, really important. For Paul, it was of absolute significance to really link together faith and freedom because it is, after all, faith working itself through love. Faith that knows the object of faith. Faith that knows that you know, it can be, in, in increasing measures, be rid of fear because of the work of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we belong. We belong to each other and our deepest longing for justice, our deepest longing for that has already been met in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean then, working through love? You know, friends, as we began with the movie Just Mercy, I'd like to end with that Just Mercy. You see, if that movie is right, and I believe it is, there are people in our world, in our communities, in our country, for whom their identity and their location, as Jamie Foxx says, you know what? You are guilty from the moment you're born. He's not talking about original sin, yet as Jim Wallace said that America's original sin is racism. We need to come clean and say, you know what, Lord? We want to be on the right side of your work. We want to follow you in that. Christianity is not only anti-racism. No. Christianity, as Paul says, is about freedom, faith working through love. But there are different avenues and manifestations of that faith working through love. And only God knows exactly where God is calling you. And I would really like to encourage all of us to beseech God and really say with me a quick prayer as we end this sermon, asking the Lord, Lord, where would you have me go? I want to follow you because in my act of following and surrender, I will find my freedom. And in doing so, I'll find my true identity because you will rekindle that love within my heart. You will remind me of the fact that I belong. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you are really the awesome God who has committed yourself to us. Before anything at all came to be, you have called us and you know us. And in your perfectly appointed time, you made us where we are and who we are. Lord, there are so many for whom life seems utterly and absolutely starting behind, so much behind the starting block. You have given our church and our family so much resource. Lord, help us to use it for your kingdom purposes, for your kingdom of shalom, for your kingdom where people will know that they belong, that they are loved. Gracious God, this is, that's the message that the world needs so desperately, that we need so desperately. So as we come to the table, the table where body and blood of Jesus were broken and shed, as we commune with you in that spiritual act of the Eucharist, may the Spirit do that powerful work of rekindling our desire and redirecting our desire unto you, Lord. Thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.